0: Thank you for listening to the following film's podcast. Today we have a slam dance double feature with the directors of Underbug and with Peter Bradley. First up, I chat with Shujat Sudagar about the Underbug. While nations came to a standstill during the pandemic, another more familiar kind of virus, xenophobia and sectarian violence raged in India. Against that backdrop, the Underbug is a psychological horror It explores the psyche of people who live on the fringe of society. The film focuses on two men who've stumbled on a deserted house where deadly trauma has taken place, but what happened, who or what was responsible, and are they next, are the questions they need to solve in order to survive. A cinematic sibling to the style of Romero, the film explores radical allegories reflecting relevant cultural and socio-political trends in the paranoid, fearful world of the characters. The Underbug delivers what great horror cinema does best, sparking conversations and debate, and offering insight on socio-politics in our current world, while keeping us on the edge of our seats with impending dread. After that, I'm joined by Alex Rappaport to discuss his documentary film, With Peter Bradley. With Peter Bradley is a documentary celebrating art-making, resilience, and the creative contributions of black artists to American life. This timely and poignant narrative is unapologetically raw, tender, and emotional as it follows extraordinary trailblazer, Peter Bradley. Audiences experience the artist's life in real time, interwoven with stills interviews and additional striking visual imagery, telling a rags to riches to rags and back again, story of a truly iconic and innovative artist. I had a great time with both of these interviews and highly recommend you checking out these films. Hope you enjoy the show. Thank you so much for taking the time to do this today. I really thank appreciate it. Thank
1: you. Thank it. you. Uh, Christopher, it's a, uh, it's a pleasure. It's a pleasure
0: I to be I had the chance to watch the movie last night and I loved it. Um, this is my kind of horror film where it's ostensibly a horror film, but it's really about something much deeper um, yeah. This feels um, more akin to something like the original Night of the Living Dead, a lot right. of the horror films that you see today. And it was something that despite being about a very specific situation, I think there's a universal uh, universal theme here that we can unfortunately relate to here in the United States much more than I would like to admit. <laughs>
1: no, absolutely. Uh, Christopher, thank you so much. Thank you so much. I'm so, so happy and so glad Uh, that you've, uh, you know, uh, watched the film. For me, uh, honestly, to tell you, we we made the film during 2022, uh, August 2022, sorry, 2020, uh, during uh, the peak pandemic. And um, uh, we just had gotten some liberties in terms of movement, and uh, uh, we could travel, uh, you know, uh, with a pass uh, kind of uh, thing. And I had this idea which was brewing for actually another film. Uh, it was another film idea, which I had. Um, and uh, I, I, mean, I mean, three, four months of uh, just prior to the first lockdown, I was in the middle of a shoot of my first web show for Amazon Prime. And uh, we had shot for 20 days and the lockdown was called. And uh, you know there was confusion all over the place. Everyone was fearful. Uh, the whole world was, uh, it just felt like it's falling apart. Right. And uh, yeah, it was tough. It was tough. And uh, for, for a few months, I mean, we just sat at home. I learned how to cook. My wife is a chef. So, I mean, we were trying to do stuff and, you know, putting on weight. And then we started you know, work, uh, work out uh, from home. And uh, yeah, but at the same time, while we were dealing, uh, I think uh, with the pandemic, there were a lot of things happening, uh in india as well uh socially politically uh you know environmentally uh and it was it was difficult to uh, come to you know uh, grips with that uh, uh because we we tend to Christopher, live in our own bubble right i mean uh, uh mumbai is, is 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 like new york or london or you know or, or tokyo or any of the world cities where your primary motive in life is to get up and, you know, get to the grind and get to work. And uh, we, we we kind of, you know, get cocooned in this uh, thing where we, we, we're really not kind of affected by uh, things which are happening outside that bubble. So that becomes a small little universe that we kind of uh, live in, uh, especially, I would say, the fifth people, you know, uh, it's a universe in itself. And, oh, and...
0: Can, I, I'm sorry I could you just talk a little bit about how you started this film though um because yeah it, you can't feel necessarily right away you it's so involved in nature and I feel like that there's an intentionality to that where this is taking place on the outskirts of the city but you're yeah. f- so focused in nature that it feel I honestly didn't know where this was headed at first when it first starts and you take a while to introduce the actual characters.
1: Yeah, so the, there were a lot of layers that I wanted. I mean, I was I was personally also dealing with, uh, you know, as I said, politically we were going through uh, a, a very uh, a turmoil kind of a situation uh, in the country, and I wanted to address this entire issue. I mean, I wanted to kind of realize because there were lots of, uh, you know, to be honest, mob lynchings that were happening. Uh, there were a lot of things which were very violent and. Essentially, that um, that overwhelming uh, emotion of hate. So everything was being hated upon. If I would go and feed some poor people, uh, I would still be hated uh, for that because it would be, oh, what caste are they? What gender are they? What religion do they? Be? Why these people? Why not those people, you know? So I was kind of yeah grappling uh, with that, and that was the theme uh, that I I set uh, you know the, the the story in. I essentially wanted to talk about hate and and, and the futility of hate. And uh you know how these people, these men who live on the fringe of society uh who are used and abused and weaponized, you know uh who just blindly go in and do whatever it is uh what whatever it takes you know for for a for a packet of uh, food uh, so to speak uh so that was kind of troubling me, but um in terms of the setup with nature I, was drawing parallels from uh, you know milton's uh, paradise lost uh, i wanted uh, to show what you know man is doing in layers also with nature i wanted to set it up as a garden of eden and you know the serpent arriving there um and um, and then all uh, you know, hell uh, breaks loose. So the the nature part uh, was coming from there somewhere. You know, uh, biblical, Quranic, uh, yeah. uh, you know, uh, for for that matter, that was the thought behind it. And I was fortunate because the house house belonged to a friend, and I called her up and I said, listen, I've got this idea, and we able to go and shoot, and uh, it's a hundred and fifty year old house, and uh, you know, I said, I have no bucks to pay, pay you for it. And, uh, you know, it's it's the lockdown. And she said, yeah, you're most welcome. Are you going to stay there as well? I said, yeah, I think we are going to, I mean, you've got plenty of room there. So we are going to stay. So, yeah, we were a crew of about 30, 35 uh, of us. Uh, yeah, about 35 of us in all. Uh, we, we picked up uh, the Venice, uh, the camera, two lenses, four lights uh and uh yeah, we uh, packed ourselves in uh, a few cars and we drove out. Uh, it was the monsoon, It was raining and uh fortunately uh the weather really kind of added a lot to the atmosphere of it uh, because it rained throughout. We finished the shoot in seven days exactly. And uh yeah, yeah, it took uh seven days. I mean we were there in all for 10 days. Three days, we we you know kind of just rehearse and the actors. Where there was a lot that individually people wanted to bring. So the process for me was the first time, and it was interesting, uh, Christopher. I'd just like to talk about that because when we set out on this journey, I, I spoke to uh, you know my key crew members, uh, my DOP, uh, my both my actors, my writers as well, the dialogue writers. I said, why don't you guys come with what you feel about? The situation what is that you want to voice as as an individual so this is what i want to say this is the story of it and you know uh as a one-liner it's about you know the backdrop of india's independence day to rioters take shelter in an abandoned house and the house boom turns out to be haunted uh so I said, what is that, you know, each one of you is individually feeling? So I said, I would like to also know and have an insight into, you know, what your thoughts are. So each one came up with, you know, stuff, that fat, which was, you know, bigger than the script. And uh, there was there was a lot of emotion. There was a lot of emotion at that time. We were, you know, emotionally volatile and people wanted to say a lot. Uh On my part, it was, uh, you know, it was a bit tricky in the sense I had to kind of veer everyone ultimately to what I wanted, uh, the voice of the film. Uh, Because what happens is that the moment you start uh, talking about right versus wrong, uh, it falls into a trap of propaganda either way if you're talking about the uh, uh, right versus uh, wrong which is could be left of or, or you know left versus wrong which could be right it just becomes noise and i didn't want it to become a part of noise because there was so much noise happening at that time so i said listen i do not want to judge i, I don't want to judge i mean whether they are hindus or whether they're muslims or they're christians or you know they're from any religion it i i honestly feel this that uh, I, there's no bigger religion than poverty, uh, you know, in this world. And that is because, I mean, they really can't influence me or probably, you know, you, uh, we've got, uh, you know, a certain privilege we come from, we're educated, we have a social standing, we've got financial backing. So, yeah, I just, it, it was interesting to pry into, you know, uh, the mind of of these men who... What does it take? I mean, there's not even a justification of revenge. Oh, you kill my uh, my family, so I'm going to you know butcher your family. It's uh, it's it's none of that. So what it what does it take to you know drop a knife and you know uh, stab someone to uh, to death? I mean, there has to be a mentality or a psyche behind that. And I really wanted to kind of explore that with everyone else. You know, in the crew, it was it was a great process, and uh, I must say, uh, emotions were flying kind of really high you know, throughout. And uh, uh, we did have you know arguments and debates on things, and it was it was it was fun. It was it was great, you know. And it it for a moment, it just took our minds away from uh, the pandemic, so to speak, and uh, what was happening uh, you know around the world and in India. Uh, and it just got us to focus that uh, on, on things that we could do with our craft. I mean, yes, uh, uh, I mean, in terms of protesting against injustice, whether it's physical protests or whether it's scandal marches or whether it's Twitter or it's, you know, voicing your opinion, at the end of the day, I, I just felt that we are skilled with our craft and that is what that we can, you know, use to tell stories, Christopher.
0: Yeah, absolutely. and. I think you touched on the thing that I really connected with this the most that the idea of the greater division of religion it's something that's societal that it another there's a greater enemy both literally and figuratively room um and both of those are tied to history and the haunting you could see that as a historical you know this is the past that's pushing these two men apart and I think that it just really beautifully lays out this idea of division amongst men for things that they're not even aware of
1: yeah true true absolutely true uh that was the thought and also there was something which was playing on my mind in terms of you know when I was uh, working on the idea of it um because when uh Uh, When the pandemic hit us, uh, just uh, leading up to the pandemic, there was a lot of religious, uh, you know, uh, animosity, which was happening in the country. People were fighting and lynching, killing each other. There were lots of riots that were happening. And then suddenly there was something uh, called the coronavirus, which, uh, I I mean, excuse my language, but everyone was... You know, shitting in their pants and they didn't know what was happening. And um, they were all, they all just got, uh, you know, silenced and no one stepped out. Uh, no one was writing, no one was fighting. I think the planet started breathing better uh, f- for those few months. And so the the idea came from there that, you know, uh, we uh, are always at each other's throats. But when a uh, unknown, unseen, force comes over, which we do not know anything or we don't know how to tackle, uh, somewhere people unite. Uh, you know, so these two men, uh, I, I wanted to use uh, the eerie presence in the house as uh, you know, as a as a metaphor to Corona uh, where they have completely forgotten after being, you know, at each other's throats, they've completely forgotten about religion, it just goes out of the uh, window and they are both seeking to finish this unseen, uh, you know, enemy. So, uh, uh, yeah, the pandemic did play a part in that sense, uh, uh, in the ideation of uh, uh, the presence for me.
0: And, but it's something that is, because it's not called out in that way, I think you've made something yeah. probably go back and revisit this film and it'll still hold up. It'll still be, unfortunately relevant um, for years to come, because I don't, I don't see us getting past this particular,
1: um, so, yeah, and that is, that is the tragedy of it, uh, Christopher, that's, uh, it's, it's sad that, you know, today, uh, you know, you're sitting in the United States, I am sitting in India, and we're talking about this uh, unfortunate, uh, you know, state of affairs that uh, we are in uh, all over the world. Uh, yes, I mean, for me, the relevance of the story, I didn't put any time period to it. Uh, I, I I didn't name the characters. Uh, even by the end of it, you do not know who belongs to which uh, religion. It could be, I mean, it could be set in Palestine. It could be set in Iran. It could be set, you know, uh, it could be a Sunni-Shia war. It could be, a, a, you know, uh, Muslims versus Jews. I mean, everyone is just... I don't know hating for what what are we gonna go back with what did we come with nothing and what are we gonna go back with nothing i don't know I, I i you know it still kind of beats me that that realization really hasn't kind of dawned on people and i don't know where all the power goes and what they really uh because there's so many examples right every day there's an example in front of us and a powerful man has, you know, come lived and gone. And then that is it. And it all depends on the legacy that we uh, leave behind. And uh, yeah, it's unfortunate, Christopher, I mean, we're battling that all over the globe. And uh, we need to just keep fighting. I think love will uh, prevail. uh, Eventually. Uh, Yeah, it's tough to beat love. You're right, man. It's, uh, it felt like we were through some pretty dark days
0: there where it didn't feel like that was the case. Um, And it's hard to, lose sight of that. But I think that when you reconnect with, I don't know, for me, it's when I'm doing things that are outside of myself, when I'm helping people, when I'm volunteering. That right. it's while it's um obsessively it's something that's not really it's a selfless act, but it's also something that makes you really feel good about yourself when you are connected in that way.
1: Right. No, it is, it is, it's is, it is very true. And I think in whatever way we, uh, you know, people can, uh, whatever our, uh, uh, you know, their shortcomings, uh, whatever people uh, think that they lack in, uh, I think giving is something that uh, uh, is is never a a burden on, uh, you know, on us as a human race, Uh, no matter what it is, you know, really it doesn't, uh, really doesn't, the quantum and, uh, the uh, the quantity of it really doesn't uh, uh, matter because uh, there were a lot of people uh, during um, uh, the pandemic, especially the second wave. The second wave hit India really bad uh, as well. We had you know a lot of uh, deaths and uh, oxygen shortage, and the entire health system was collapsing around us. And some very dear friends, uh, you know, uh, uh, lost close ones. I personally myself uh, lost a lot of people who I uh, you know knew really well. And uh, yeah it was it was fortunate. We were just not learning. I think uh, as a race, we just don't learn from our, our mistakes and uh, it just we just keep on repeating it. Uh, and in fact, the film was lying in the cans for uh, you know almost two years and uh, because every time the lock lockdown opened up my priority was to go back to the web show that i was doing and uh, it's 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 like it's one of india's you know biggest web series and uh, it's again based on a popular it's it's a gangster drama uh, crime drama, so uh, that was a mammoth project, and I had to keep on going back to uh, that. And you know, this just was lying in the cans, and we had done a rough cut, and we had, we had done a first cut, and you know, I had things to go on. Uh, finally, June of this year, twenty twenty two, I finished with the web series, and I just wanted to get my mind off, and I you know, went back to this stuff, and I was like, wow. I mean, we shot all of this, right? I mean, wow. Yeah. Oh we shot this as well. Oh fantastic. So it was it, it was like, you know, uh for me and uh yeah, and after 2 years, unfortunately, uh Christopher uh I mean, I'm 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 being optimistic, but uh, unfortunately even after 2 years, uh the situation really hasn't changed much. Uh in fact, uh if I look at it, you know, practically just feels it's becoming back to worse and uh it was uh it was actually telling and it was really emotional when i was you know editing the entire the film uh, again when i was sitting with the footage and i was like you know this is what we were aiming to do with with this uh you know piece of the work and it's really um uh, we're nowhere close to you know we've just uh yeah unfortunately uh yeah i then, you know, just got the film ready and we were like, what do we do now? And in, in fact, um, I pitched it to uh, some of the big platforms uh, in India, interestingly, and they said, oh, wow, uh, it's fantastic. It's too sensitive. And I don't think, uh, you know, we are right now, uh, you know, ready to have something so volatile. I said, I mean, what the hell? I mean, we've not named any religion. There's no politics, nothing. I mean, it's, you know, it's a human story they said yeah right you know yeah yeah of course uh they said yeah well, better luck next time i said okay no no sweat so that's when we sort of uh, you know uh, uh, putting it out for festivals and uh really not something that we were expecting uh, much uh, to come in because uh, the the amount of time that had also passed by and uh uh, fortunately uh we spent whatever money we spent was ours so uh I uh, we were really not coming uh under any financial pressure so to speak that you know I have to sell the film out and I have to do something to recover the money you know it was all done in good faith of course uh so uh, that that pressure was never there uh you know on the film and uh we 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 sent it out uh, to uh to uh, three festivals to begin with Sundance rejected it uh slam dance ac- accepted it and it was you know it just felt felt great because uh, you know as a filmmaker uh these are really uh you know when your work gets appreciated and and you know people like yourself who uh you know are, are moved by it I mean I think that that that's a huge uh victory for me and for the team you talk a little bit about
0: and I want to make sure that people understand this movie while it's dealing with very heady subjects. At times, it's laugh out loud funny. There's moments in this film that are hilarious, that are really kind of fun to watch. Like the, and even in the, the dinner sequence when they're sitting down, there's so much going on, so many layers in that where you can, there's kind of they're probing each other to find out whether they're Hindu or Muslim. And there's yeah. that element of it. But then there's also the way they're talking about their past that's just so bombastic and funny. And then it's just it's such a wonderful sequence that I could have watched that for another hour, that little moment.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. In fact, we shot a lot of it because we went berserk while actually shooting it because it was one of the relief uh, sections, you know. Even while we, we were shooting it, it was like, you know, really dreary and it was heavy. And uh, of course, the, the lighting was, you know, very minimal. In fact, at times the actors were like, you know, it's it's so dark. Where, 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 am, where am I supposed to, you know, go in? You know, there's a door uh, kind of thing. So, yeah. So uh, again, you know, coming back, I I, I wanted to explore uh, and make um you know make these characters more more like more like me, more like you, more human in that sense, you know, because there are stereotypes that I wanted to break. Because uh, when when I was sitting and writing it, I, I you know I kept wondering, uh, would these guys laugh? Would they feel the guilt? Would they feel the pangs? What is the emotion that goes through? And essentially, you know, my own um, um, conclusion of it was a certain amount of justification, you know, in their heads for what they do, which comes right towards the end of the film, right? Uh, You know, through Ali, uh, the actor, through his character, where, where he vocalizes, he breaks into this, you know, crazy thing where, you know, he starts vocalizing about... Uh, the mind space of uh, the other guy. But yeah, to reach that point, I wanted to kind of, you know, I wanted to humanize them. I wanted to know what happens to their love lives. You know, do they feel these emotions? Uh, uh, what about their parents? Uh, what about, uh, you know, their lovers and their wives and their kids? How are they at home? Because, you know, each one of us wears so many different masks and we all play characters in our you know real life uh you know I'm someone else in front of my wife I'm someone else in front of you know my actors I'm someone else in front of my producer so I'm I'm constantly shuffling between these characters and and I wanted to explore that uh, entire mindset of uh, uh, of these people who come from that uh that extremely lower middle class the, the you know the financially the economically, uh, educationally uh, you know poor uh, in India, and uh, while dwelling in a place like you know a metropolis like uh, like Bombay, uh, so and Hussein and Abbas my my co-writers who wrote uh, the dialogues, and Hussein also plays one of the characters uh, you know the shot the shorter guy. Uh, yeah, they were riot victims as children. You know, there was a, there was a riot in Bombay in 1993, a very big uh, communal riot which had taken place. And uh, they had firsthand uh, experienced uh, riots. Their house was put on fire. Their father's toes were cut. So uh, they were coming from a place also. They come from that strata of society. So that, uh, you know, uh, they brought a lot in terms of the language of it. Uh, you know, uh, uh these characters speaking that uh, very crude uh, you know language even when they're defining their lover so uh yeah i wanted to humanize before i vocalize uh you know what uh, thematically uh, i wanted to kind of say because exposition is something which is so difficult to uh you know Uh, handle in a situation like this especially so you
0: you do it really well though because the exposition it's here but it never feels like it's an exposition exposition dump it never feels like you're giving all that information at once it's very subtle through the radio um through these little tidbits it's peppered in through their interactions but it's never overt. the exposition
1: Yeah, so yeah, we we kind of played and yeah, for bits and pieces, you know, we honestly wanted to laugh. We wanted to laugh at ourselves, and we wanted to kind of have fun. Even the callousness with which uh, you know Hussein's character talks about the first time he you know killed, and uh, and the reason that he killed, and you know there there's there's no real guilt in the person. There's no remorse. I mean, it is something that happened, and kind of you know it gives you an insight into. How these things probably work and how they are marked out, you know, right from a young age. Who are the people? I don't know. the The process might be horrifying because they're not like random people. You go and say, "Oh, here's a, a butcher's knife. Go and kill," you know, twenty people in the name of religion and Allah Akbar. I I don't think that's that's not the way it kind of happens. It's it's much more you know pre-planned and it's it's kind of charted out. It's 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 an organized crime. Oh
0: yeah, absolutely. And it's something that happens over years and years and years. And it's subtle, the dehumanization of people that you are your enemies, you know, quote unquote, that you see that way, that you don't see them for the people that have a wife, they have children, they have the same financial struggles that you do. You don't see them for the complex humans that they are. Similar they are. You only see their differences, and that's the consistent problem that we have, that we have so much more in common different from one another that we really all want the same things at the end of the day it's just how do we get see the slight differences and even in the end like the the differences between these men they're almost non-existent and yet they're that pushed against one another yeah yeah
1: Yeah, absolutely
0: yeah I, i love this film and i'm I, I'm not surprised that Slamdance picked this up and put it on the breakout feature because this is just a really wonderful film. I think you really knocked this one out of the park. And um, I know that people talking about this one. This is the kind of film that I would love to see in a theater because I would love to have the conversations coming out of this movie. This is the kind of film that you know
1: inspired people to talk. And just congratulations, man. This is a really special film. Thank made. you so much. Thank you so much, Christopher. It means a lot. And uh, I, I mean, you're the first person out of, um uh, you know uh the country of course Annie uh, loved the film and that's why she's come on board and I'm as, of course you know grateful and uh, assuming uh because we got picked at Slam Dance, they too love the film uh but yeah you are my first uh you know uh, interaction uh besides uh, that it's and- not going to be the last <laughs>
0: one not going to be the last one man you got a lot you got to get used to it because there's going to be more to come for sure
1: I'm I'm really hoping, and I and I hope, as you said, it you know uh, the intent behind making the film was to start a conversation. Uh, that was uh, that was the intent. I mean, I don't think the film answers any questions. Uh, probably poses uh, you know more poignant and uh, relevant ones. Uh, but uh, I think it's time, yeah, uh, time we start addressing them. At the
0: very least, we just need to have the conversations. Yes. Today's episode of the Following Films Podcast is brought to you by Bookman's. This week, I went into Bookman's and I was looking for a film. Something that reminded me of a film festival. Be it a film that got its start in a film festival or something that was perhaps about the experience of going to a film festival. I went over and looked through the 4K discs and the Blu-rays and the DVDs. Nothing was really jumping out immediately. So I went over to the box set section and I came across Ingmar Bergman's cinema. If you're not familiar, Bergman was a master storyteller who startled the world with his stark intensity and naked pursuit of the most profound metaphysical and spiritual questions, the struggles of faith and morality, the nature of dreams, and the agonies and ecstasies of human relationships. Bergman explored all of these subjects in films ranging from comedies whose lightness and complexity Belie their brooding hearts to ground-breaking formal experiments and excruciatingly intimate explorations of family life. Arranged as a film festival, with opening and closing nights, bookending double features, and centerpieces, this selection spans six decades and 39 films, including such celebrated classics as The Seventh Seal, Persona, and Fanny and Alexander, alongside previously unavailable works like Dreams, The Right, and Brink of Life. It's also accompanied by a 248-page book with essays on each film. This particular box set has been something of a white whale for my collection, something I've had my eye on for years, and I've just never felt the need to pull the trigger on it. But then I walked into Bookman's, and there it was. And the price was so incredibly reasonable, I had to pick it up. This is something that I've been wanting to dive into for a long time because with uh, Bergman's filmography, I have a lot of blind spots and I'm really excited to dive in and um, learn more about his work because every time I've gone and watched one of his films, I'm always struck by how his work has been so influential that you can go back and look at these films and you'll see images or themes or just these kind of ideas that he brings up or that he executes in a way that have had just this profound impact on filmmaking. And you start to see, I guess, what feel like tropes later on, but this is the source. This is where they came from. And it's just really fun to go back and uh, dive into this work. And so I'm really excited to start going and seeing some of these films that I've never seen before. And so was able to get this at Bookman's and you should go to Bookman's too and see what you might uncover. Remember, Bookman's has your cool covered. Enjoy the show. Hey, Alex, how are you today? Good. It's nice to meet you. Nice to meet you as well. Thank you so much for taking the time to do this today. I, I loved, oh, watched it this morning, have it fresh in my mind right now. And I I can't believe I wasn't familiar with Peter prior to this, not only as the artist, but just as a human being. Like I, a lot of times when there's documentary subjects, you look at them and say, I wonder what the process was for figuring out if this is somebody that would be, you know, you would want to spend that much time with, but I get it right out of the gate with this guy. So <laughs> how, how did you find him? How did, how did you become aware of his work?
2: Well, uh, Peter and I uh, live five or six minutes away from one another in this small town in the Hudson Valley, Saugerties, New York. And um, I met him through a local uh, uh, art gallerist, Robert Langdon, who has a very tiny little storefront art gallery on the main street here in town. And in 2019, he had gotten to meet Peter through a mutual friend of Peter's wife, Deborah. Um, and he he knew who Peter was, had done his homework and um, knew that Peter hadn't shown any art in a long time and actually put up a show of a few smaller paintings of Peter's in this tiny space and tried to get people to to pay attention to it, had a whole press release about Peter and his amazing history. And nobody really paid attention. Um, And uh, I think they sold one painting. um, And when Peter in the film says he's only sold one painting in the last two years, I think it's the painting that he sold um, at Robert's space. And um, Robert had introduced my wife to Peter at the opening as a filmmaker. And Peter said, uh, oh, you should make a movie about me. And Katie said, (laughs) Katie said, uh, well, actually, my husband would be the better one to do that. He's he does more documentary stuff. And uh, she told me and I totally forgot. And then six months later, our daughter was home from college and helping Robert at the gallery over winter break. And she came home one day and said, Dad, Peter Bradley, have you heard about this guy? You should go film him. I was like, OK, OK. And so I asked I asked Robert to introduce us and um, we met. Like exactly three years ago, it was about New Year's, um, 2020. And um Peter, I we just he just struck me as a great guy right away. And he said, Well, bring your camera. Can you start today? <laughs> yeah. And uh I said, Well, you know, when I'm done with some other jobs, I'll come over. So um we started to work in February of 2020. Um and worked for about six weeks up until the COVID shutdown um and uh but you know i i i don't really know anything about art uh i just knew a good story <laughs> when it was you know literally like shaken in front of my face you know it's like here it is you know um and then the you more time that, i though. spent yeah the more time i spent with peter and asking him questions i mean robert had given me some of the biography um and uh But it just it was it just I I had thought I would do this nice piece about sort of uh, the process of making art. But Peter's biography was just so rich and dense that it it just, you know, grew into this bigger thing where I I sort of had to manage that at the expense of tons and tons of great footage I have of him painting
0: that um, I realized, well, a little goes a long way with that, you know. Oh, for sure. And I'm, I'm glad you say you don't know much about art because I think I know less than you. I'm sure that I know less <laughs> about art than you. Um, I know that there's things that I like. I don't know the psychology or the reasoning behind I like it. There's things that I look at and it's just that that's nice to look at. Um, but I feel like that this is done in a way that you appreciate his process and you appreciate him. It's that two sides of the phone that you were talking about where you learn about his history. Well, I guess it's kind of three sides. You learn about his history learn about what he's doing today and you learn about his current process and all three sides. I think you could have done three films about this man. It's just so <laughs> yeah. much to fit into 90 minutes.
2: Yeah. There's a lot there. There's so many, I mean, so many stories he had so many sort of sidebar, um, anecdotes that were great that I just had to sort of, I, we, there could be a lot of good extra bonus features <laughs> if we ever need to. Um, but yeah, we just, um, you know, I had nothing in mind when I started to do this. And uh, it was, you know, you uh, call it a passion project. I mean, um, it was just all done in my spare time. I've worked for 30 years as a cinematographer, and sometimes a shooter and editor, and um, had done um, in the 90s, a lot of um, pieces about artists and the arts for uh, WNET in New York. Um, and uh, it was just very much in my comfort zone to hang out with someone like Peter. Um, and we just got in a nice routine where I would kind of call him up. I'd be like, what are you doing today? And he'd say, well, it's, you know, it was, it was winter when we started. So if it was warm enough and he was going to be outside, I'd go over, I'd throw my camera and a, one light and the microphone I'd pin on him you know and um we'd film for a while painting and then I'd go inside and I'd sit him down for maybe half an hour at a time um because uh, he would get tired you know and lose his energy uh and it just kind of we just I would just keep coming back you know um and uh it was pretty amazing we just we just got to be good friends and it's like this parallel craft going on where he was just doing his thing and i was doing my thing and uh it was it was a fantastic you know creative experience for me i mean really the best i've ever had um doing this project with him
0: well i i think you can feel that there, there's a genuine affection <laughs> with every frame of this film you know, you look at something like the closet sequence and the, <laughs> the story telling during that and it's, he's ha- just going through clothes and the sidebars and the stories he's telling around this closet are just so incredible that it feels like it's the only, I, I think that if you had another man saying those exact same words, it could come across so wrong and it could be so ugly, <laughs> but there's something so charming about him doing it.
2: Yeah, he was completely, um, completely open. Uh, he would talk about anything that I wanted to know. There was nothing off limits. You know, there's this this shot of him taking a bath that a lot of people are are very struck by. You know, it's like uh, it's like a bridge too far in intimacy, I think, for some people. And but he had told me that he, li- you know, he gets in this bathtub that he's had forever and that he lays there and he thinks about art. You know, he stares up at the plants. And I was like, well. I got to get a shot of you doing that. He's like, "Okay, that's fine, no problem." <laughs> so we did. Hi there. <laughs> and um, yeah, I mean, um, uh, I'm, getting, I'm losing my train of thought a little bit, but um, it, it it was a very, you know, I, I, the the title of the film says it all. I mean, I realized. Well, when I when I first started, I thought more conventionally about it. Well, you know, I'll interview other people about Peter, get the sort of art expert thing. And um, because it was COVID, that just wasn't even possible. Um, in fact, Peter and I took a break for about six weeks um, after that first month that I had worked with him on and off. Uh, where we weren't even sure it was safe for us in that, and even in that environment to be around each other. And um, and I edited, and that's when it really struck me that what I had was this, the best thing about it was this very hermetic sort of story world, just, you know, it's his house and the property and that nobody else is ever around. I couldn't even think of how you would cut away from that to show someone else saying, it's like, you can't leave that. You know, and he uh, even
0: talks about it at one point where he says that he never. There's that whole little bit where he just lives on his own planet, essentially, and that he's comfortable there, but he is aware that it's strange. And yeah, that's if if you cut away from that and go too far away to those talking heads, it just I think you lose that sense of spending time with Peter.
2: Right. And I mean, I, um, you know, I'm not I, I, I don't I'm not trying to come off as his ultimate biographer. Um, you know, I, and I'm not getting into his personal life, you know, he alludes, toward the end of the film, he alludes to the fact that he's now on his third marriage. He, there are children from the first two marriages, you know. Um, but I I couldn't really, I couldn't really take that on. I didn't feel like that was important also to to the portrait that I was creating of him. Um, and so I just kind of narrowed my scope. Um, and also because I don't know, I mean, I would ask him questions about his art and everything, but, uh, had someone else been making this film that knew a lot more about art history, I'm sure they could have gotten some more interesting comments out of him about his influences, thing and things, but I did ask him about his influences and he said he didn't really know. You know it was it was kind of odd. Um so some things I'll just let go. And and whether or not he's even recalling some things correctly, you know, uh you know I I'm okay with that. I mean I, I'm just letting it be in his words. Um and if anybody sees this that knew him back in the day and thinks oh that's bullshit that's you know they, they can tell their own story about peter and challenge him you know um so
0: well i think you the idea of that of his memory being a very specific point of view um it, it again the the closet sequence just to you know kind of put a button on that he talks about how one article of clothing was stolen from him but then he took the, something in response so somebody stole from him but he took and it's the same thing but it's just his point of view on it and i you, you feels very singular in that sense. And yeah, so I don't think that the accuracy is important here. It's just this man's yeah. version of it that's so wonderful to spend time with. And mm-hmm. could you just talk a little bit about how his art and the way that he talks about it feels very relatable to me. Where the the idea of taking a piece of art and cutting it down, getting rid of all the extraneous stuff to find the meat of it. That that's something I can relate to Um, having made a few films and going back and looking at that stuff and saying, okay, we really got to pare this down. You see, there's, okay, there is something that's really good here in the middle of it. Here's what you were talking about with the story of his off of it to find the heart of it. And it's the same thing he does with his painting.
2: Yeah. Uh, a lot of people, that's one of their favorite scenes in the film where he's he's cropping the paintings, you know, looking for the best part of it. Um, I, uh, It didn't occur to me that this was uh, not a common thing for, it seems to make perfect sense for an abstract artist, especially like Peter, where, you know, he doesn't know where the paint's gonna go. I mean, it's, he talks about getting the paint to move on its own. He doesn't know where it's gonna go. So obviously, you know, it's going to be a little hit and miss, but other um, other artists have watched that in particular, and, and they're really struck by it. Um, number one, just that any artist would let you see so much of their process, I didn't realize is completely, it's almost unheard of. Um and Peter at one point talks about how he is a little worried about people seeing how he paints. But on the other hand, at his age, it's like, you know, <laughs> let him go ahead and try and copy it. And I said, well, I'm documenting that you're the originator of this. So if they copy you, it'll be clear that they're stealing from Peter Bradley. Um, but the in terms of the cropping, um, the, the most interesting thing I heard was from, clement greenberg's daughter clement greenberg the art critic who peter was close to um who who's passed away but i i found his daughter sarah um online um and i was hoping at first just to, that she might have a good picture of her father that i could get without having to license you know to pay for one <laughs> and um she was interested and i showed her the film and she really really loved the film you know she said it's um it's, it's the best film about color field art that she's ever seen. And also just generally, she felt the best film about, about the making of art uh, that she's seen, which is, was a great comment. But she talked about that, that cropping business that Peter does. And she said that's very much her father's thing. Like he that came from Greenberg that he did that with a lot of his artists, um, got them into that kind of thing where he would go and do studio visits. I mean, Peter even says it in the film. I would do this for hours with Greenberg and the artist Kenneth Noland. Who right, he was yeah. to. Um, And they would sit there taping up the pictures. And I don't know if they would take turns at it or, you know, how they would do it. But, um, yeah, that was a very... Um, kind of Greenberg abstract expressionist uh technique that I think Peter probably learned from Clement as he and and now hearing it or from or from Noland maybe around the same time so it's kind of cool
0: well it's it's really interesting to see the physical takes on him and what he has to put himself through to go through this act which is very much a it, it's it's laborious it's difficult on his body to do this at this age and it feels like it's something that's primal when he's actually making the art and then he sits down and thinks and talks about color and it feels like there's almost like a division in his mind of when he's doing this he doesn't feel precious when he's actually art but he's only precious in reflection on it which is really fascinating to see
2: yeah yeah no he, he really seems to approach it very much at a craft level um well, and you know, it's all very influenced by the music that he listens to. So, something happens when he puts on a jazz record. He's got quite a an eclectic collection of of CDs. He's got rock and roll stuff. He's got a bunch of classical, um, but the default is that mid century modern jazz um, that is just part of his core experience. You know, from the time he was a child, um, and it has this uh, synesthesia um thing where he hears the sounds as colors and then relates to that with the rhythms of whatever's on and the colors he chooses he chooses um so there is that that physicality um you know i would really feel for him when he would get these giant rolls <laughs> he would really struggle with these big heavy rolls of canvas you know and trying to roll them out and and move them around um and the, some of the buckets of paint are really heavy. Um, and for a long time, you know, because water is a big part of it, he was um, carrying, he would he would fill up these huge five-gallon buckets of water up at the house and then schlep them down the hill to the studio. And I finally, that spring, I was like, Peter, you just need a hose, man. Because he had a hose where he waters. And so I went to the hardware store and bought like a splitter for his hose and bought hose, you know, I was just like, here, you know, and we ran a hose down to the studio and he was like, this is the best thing ever, you know, (laughs) it just hadn't occurred to him, you know, but uh, all that that work was keeping him, keeping him healthy, you know, keeping his legs strong, I guess. But uh, yeah. um, Walking up and down that Hill.
0: Yeah. It was,
2: he'd get, he'd get pretty tired
0: out, you know? It's pretty incredible how many artists that you find out about now, the synesthesia, where th- that's fairly common. It seems amongst people that are operating at that level of artistry that you hear about musicians all the time that they hear music and you know they see it as color. They visualize it that way. And it's just something that it feels like we're just cracking the surface of that right now as this whole thing that's fairly common right now. It's pretty fascinating stuff. Yeah, I kind of wish I had it. Why? <laughs> <So I, laughs> oh. No, I, I I listen to music and it just it's um I, I just I, I can't even crack it. So mm-hmm. it's something I love music. I um appreciate jazz, but I think the, I I know slightly more about jazz than I do about art, which is I know not. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, but the, the stuff that I heard in this film, there's there's some needle drops here that are some of the big ones. Um, did, How are you able to, you know, get uh, well, the train <laughs> and that kind of stuff for this?
2: Well, you know, uh, I have a, a production lawyer that looked at that and she said that, you know, if Peter, if I'm in there filming Peter and Peter puts on music to paint to and I'm just that's what he's doing, and I haven't dictated that in any way, that it, it could fall under fair use. Now, friends I have that work in the music industry are like, yeah, yeah, sure, <laughs> until, you know, until the wrong person hears it, and then they're gonna come after you. But we'll just kind of cross that bridge. I mean, you know, that's what errors and omissions <laughs> insurance is for. Um, you know, she was, the, the lawyer was very adamant that, you know, you can't overlap it's got to stay within that scene. You can't you can't segue it over even by more than a second or two, otherwise it's it's you know it, it's a different usage of the film. But I'm glad you mentioned the music because the soundtrack um, is just uh, dynamite. I think an original jazz score composed by Javon Jackson and performed by his quintet live in a studio, um, and Javon has a history with Peter Uh, Javon uh, before he even graduated Berkeley school of music um, he's my age um, was hired by Art Blakey to start touring with the jazz messengers and because Peter was buddies with Art Blakey forever he met Javon when he was like a 19 year old kid and um, you know has stayed not really close, but, you know, that they see each other from time to time. And it was actually Peter's wife, Deborah, that suggested to me. Um, oh, there's my dog coming in that suggested to me uh, in this, like a, a year, a little over a year ago. She said, uh, you should come to this concert and hear Javon play. Um, and then after that, she said, don't you think he should do the music? I was like, yes, absolutely. So that worked out really well and that javon knows peter and 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 knows that music that he likes i mean a lot of the temp music i used in my rough cut were all these cds i took out of peter's studio just the classics you know um and javon did a good job of emulating some of those styles and stuff completely different himself um yeah it really drives it's really a character in the film the music i think
0: Oh, uh, absolutely. And it's such an extension of who Peter is that you do it, it. If you had something else, a different type of music, something that was more contemporary, something that was orchestral, it may have felt as right as this did. And mm-hmm. I, again, I'm not somebody who knows jazz at all, but it just feels right. And when you are, when you're cutting away from that scene where he's listening to Coltrane and you have something that's not the same, but it's in that vein of that, you can feel a of it pushing away. And it's almost like those colors bleeding together. And it's something that just, I think really does add a whole dimension to this film that without the score, I think this film wouldn't have nearly the impact that it does.
2: Oh uh, yeah. Well, I'm glad to hear you say that. Um, uh, yeah, I feel the same way <laughs> and I was worried about it. You know, you never know how it's going to turn out. Um, and, uh, it, it just exceeded my expectations. Actually, I was there when they recorded, when they recorded the music and I I filmed a little bit, I want to cut a little something together of that. I did a little interview with Yvonne about Peter, where he said some insightful things too.
0: Yeah. And could I ask uh, how large was the original canvas of this film? How many hours of footage did you have to pare it down to this? You know, that's a really good question. I'm not, I'm, I'm not
2: so sure. I did count up, I think there were about 40, different days that I went and filmed with Peter. And usually they were partial, partial days, you know, three to five or six hours at a time. Um, I, it's not as much as a lot of documentaries for sure. Um, um, I would say my shooting ratio was maybe 20 to one, something like that. That's actually, that's not bad. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I knew at a certain point that I kind of had enough Um, and I stopped. Actually, one of the last one of the last principal photography things I shot is the last shot in the film where Peter's at the rose bush and he says, let's go sit down and have a beer. And I knew right away. I was like, that's (laughs) going to be the last. This is the last thing in the movie. Um, And I stopped because I didn't want to overshoot. And I had so many. I had so much I needed to go through that at that point I spent a couple of months editing and trying to figure it out and then making lists of where I needed him to fill in the blanks biographically or just about different things. It became a lot of interview pickups, um, over, you know, over almost another year. Um, but then if he was painting, when I was back, I would pick up some stuff of him painting or drawing at the same time. Um, and uh, a lot of that all made it into the finished film. But there, like I said, there was so much stuff I filmed of him painting, some amazing images of him painting that I thought I would never not include. (laughs) But, you know, they wound up going by the wayside in the end.
0: Well, I mean, when he starts, you know, dropping nuggets, like I had to deal with Paul McCartney and just the way he (laughs) phrases things like that um yeah. how can you not include something like that the oh, lack no. of yeah he's sort of a Zelig
2: zeleg yeah, that's
0: exactly yeah exactly there was even more you
2: know one of the sidebars i dropped was the story of him and bishop tutu in south africa <laughs> Wait, what <laughs> so peter in the mid-80s he he somehow got asked to go and teach um art or sculpture at some institution in South Africa. Hang on one second. Um, uh, It's getting a little cold in my shed here. And uh, so he got flown over there by some US organization that may have been some front for the CIA or something. I don't know. And um, there were no students or anything, but he, he, he made sculpture. He got put up somewhere and he had access to like a university in Johannesburg where he made sculpture and he, one of the big pieces he made got placed in downtown Johannesburg, like in some sort of office plaza. And there's a newspaper clipping he has of Bishop Tutu, like, like dedicating the sculpture, you know, and everyone puzzling. The name of it was called Silver Dawn And um, he had just hit it with a bunch of primer. It was like red primer, so it wouldn't rust. And everybody was asking him, why is it called Silver Dawn, you know, including Bishop Tutu. And he was like, I don't know, maybe I'll paint it silver. (laughs) But it's pretty funny. You had this picture of Tutu in front of uh, Peter's sculpture. But it was just kind of this, I didn't know how to just get there for that quick little story and then get back out of South Africa. But
0: yeah. And uh, there for what's that? How long was he in uh, was he in Africa for? I
2: think he was only there for a a few months, maybe six months or something. Yeah,
0: incredible.
2: Peter also had a job teaching art and like music appreciation at this alternative school in New Hampshire in the 70s. Um, that uh was fascinating to me, um, but he had nothing. I was like, "What was it like to teach?" And he's like, oh, "I didn't teach him anything, you know." But then I met one of his former students who's actually a successful artist now, and she told me how he totally changed her life, you know. So, um, you know, it's funny. Peter, he's he's kind of he's modest in one way and he's very arrogant in other ways, you know. But uh he was just really sweet guy with me, you know, the entire time. Um my biggest supporter in the whole thing both he and his wife deborah have been so terrific and uh i still go by you know if i don't see peter for a couple of weeks i'm like i gotta get over there and go hang out and it's just nice visiting with him
0: i i could imagine that that would be <laughs> a uh a force that you would want to check in with every once in a while because we could all use this uh this individual in our lives and that's what's so wonderful about this film is that we get to Spend a little time in his world, and it it's a reminder of why I spend. I, I might not understand the exact uh, discipline that you are deeply invested in, but I understand artists, and I I when somebody has dedicated their life to an art, I can appreciate that. And those those are that's my tribe, those are my people, and it was really really fun to spend time with Peter and learn a little bit more about him. So congratulations on the film man. I really love this and I'm really excited for people to start checking this out. Thank you
2: so much. I really appreciate it. Yeah, Peter Peter's a singular dude and uh um, <laughs> I uh you know it's an it's an important story not in an earth-shattering way, but I th- I think it's an important story and and one that you don't have to be an artist to appreciate, you know.
0: Absolutely. And, uh, Yeah. Um, There's, there's no pretension here at all. This is an incredibly accessible film. So for someone as simple as I am, I was able to completely wrap my head around this film and the art that he was creating standing of what he was doing and the way he talks about color is just incredible. And Mm -hmm. just the, um, it, the paint, something I haven't done in probably 30 years. It made me want to (laughs) some brushes again. So the, You, it's an inspiration so thank you man
2: oh fantastic well that's the best comment that could ever come thank you so much I'm I'm really glad you enjoyed it you know yeah. spent three years of my life on it and I'm 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 happy that I could I'm about ready to close close the, the, chapter. close the chapter yeah
0: yeah well I mean spending three years with Peter is probably time well spent it's just a bonus that you happen to made a hell of a film <laughs> in oh, addition really
2: appreciate it Thanks awesome. so much. Thank you the it was
0: nice to meet you. Will do. Okay. Absolutely. Bye-bye. Take care. Take care. Bye-bye. Time enough to figure you out. Time enough to write this down. Wish me luck. Give me hope.